Welcome back to Series 2, Episode 2 of Warriors Unite Podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. This week's episode, I am joined by Haley from Savannah, Georgia, and she will be taking us on her journey of her POTS condition, EDS, and how it has been for her as a hairstylist to work in this industry while she's had both chronic illnesses. So please stay tuned as us warriors unite. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Warriors Unite podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. Today's warrior guest joining us is the lovely Haley. Hello, Haley. Hi, so nice to be here. I'm so excited to have a conversation. Good. Do you want to um, tell our listeners where you're calling in from? I am calling from Savannah, Georgia, um, this beautiful little story town, story book type town in uh, Georgia. I'm from Florida, Tampa, Florida, originally. Oh, excellent. I have family that live in Florida as well. Well, and they live in New York. I think they just use their holiday home in Florida. Oh, most people in Florida are from are New Yorkers. So that totally makes sense. Yeah, I've never been. My mom went there a couple of years, a good couple of years back. She went over to visit, but I'm, I don't I don't get out of the city. All right. So um, we're just getting to it now. If you want to tell our listeners um, what your chronic illness is and we can let you work away from there. So I have been diagnosed with POTS syndrome. Um, I am soon to start going through another diagnosis process for EDS, um, Mm -hmm. which is something that I've always felt like I've had, um, especially with the main thing is being hypermobile. Um, That's, I think there's like 13 different categories for EDS Mm -hmm. and that I believe that's the one I fall under. So um, getting ready to start that diagnosis journey, which has been mentally preparing and kind of avoiding for sure, having to kind of go through that whole journey again. It's a long, long process for any of these diagnoses. People, I think people out there think you go in with a symptom and the doctor says, oh yeah, this is what you have. It doesn't. I think, I well, I know for myself, I've been suffering with on and off different symptoms since I was a young age. And it took till 17, I mean, I'm 41 now. It took till 17 years ago to be kind of really, really diagnosed. So there's a process with these. Um, It's not just going to the doctor and the doctor says, oh yeah, I think you have to. So that's what you're mentally preparing yourself for. It's a long and lengthy process that's going to take. And I think that um, it's something else that kind of makes me nervous going back in is um, I've, found that when you go into a doctor's appointment and you um you bring information about something you think you have or you know a printout about pots print out about eds um they tend to feel a certain type of way when you come in with some type of knowledge and saying i think this is what i have my experience was um a very big pushback from that Mm -hmm. um with my cardiologist my primary First, my primary, um, when I brought it into her, because my mom had found it online, um, a football player's wife had POTS. And that's how it was on like a larger type of um, platform. And my mom read her story and was like, this is what Haley has gone through her entire life. So she showed it to me. And at first I was like, didn't want to accept the Mm. realness of it right like oh I don't know I like 
growing up, I always put it in my head. I had, um, I had depression, you know, maybe I, who knows, maybe I was bipolar. That's why I was sleeping so much. Um, I have a low immune system, but it couldn't, you know, in my head, I was like, it couldn't possibly be this chronic illness that I'm reading to be life altering, mm. even though it was already altering my life. So when I finally went in to my primary doctor and with the information and she basically read, you know, looked at it a little bit and was like, well, if this is what you think you have, then why don't you just up your salt intake like it says and work out more? And like, why do you, she was like, why do you feel like you need to be diagnosed for this? And I was like, am I really spending money for this appointment right now? <laughs> oh, medical gaslighting drives me insane. Right. So it was mm. definitely that gaslighting was from the very, very beginning of that journey. So, um, that was the beginning of about a year and a half long process of being in and out of doctors. Um, she sent me to a cardiologist who, um, the first test we did was a tilt table test, which is <laughs> the POTS test. Um, and I tested positive for it. I mm -hmm. passed out and um, for anyone who doesn't know what a tilt table test is, it's when they strap you to a board-like bed, um, you lay down, they look at your heart rate, they raise the bed up, and then see if um, how your heart rate changes. In this case, um, after they, you know, they're basically trying to get your symptoms to show themselves. Um, mm. So when I, when they sat me up, they gave me um, nitrate to try and spike my heart rate a little bit. And, you know, within like five seconds of taking it, I was like, wow, I'm really hot. Can we get this blanket off of me? And then all of a sudden I woke up with mm. an IV attached and it was like, whoa, what just yeah. happened? I and called that the, the Frankenstein experiment because oh I'd only, I'd only sp spoken about this recently. It was only a podcast actually I was editing today, which the first person I spoke to about pot um, in all my 17 years and she was doing the same trying to explain to people what a table tilt test was now I've had them done three times obviously the first time to be diagnosed then when you go back and say well I'm still really really dizzy and I'm on three I'm on three blood pressure tablets a day and the first thing they say you shouldn't be so dizzy um you're on three blood pressures to raise like to raise your blood pressure a day so they give you another table tilt test. And then I went back again for the for the third one. And I said, I'm I'm not what? going through this anymore because sirens are going off. You're you're telling the nurse, okay, my vision is now gone. I can't see a thing, I can't hear a thing. All of a sudden, double doors opened, and this was just before I passed out. And there was a cardiologist running. She was running. She had seen the monitors from the other side of the wall running through and shouted at the nurse, take her down, take her down. Now, for anybody listening, take her down wasn't put me down or, or shoot me or anything like that. It was, <laughs> to from, was to put the bed from standing up back into a, a reclining, laying down position. Um, so, yeah, that's why I mentioned it. That's why I called it the Frankenstein experiment, because if you've ever watched an old Frankenstein movie, that's what it looks like. You're strapped to bed with all these machines plugged in. Mm -hmm. You have the wires all over your chest. Um, I was freezing, so I asked for a blanket on me. And um, 
after that and it was positive, my cardiologist um, wasn't, he didn't really care that it was positive. He was like, okay, so this has to do with something with your heart. And um, he was an older man. And I was, when we started, my mom was kind of, you know, my, my partner in crime during mm-hmm. these appointments. Um, when we started, I had so, like, I was so insecure. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I, all of a sudden, when he asked me the first time what my symptoms were, turned into a scared little girl and looked over at my mom and was like, what are my symptoms? What do I say? Help, help, help. And um, I think that might've been the beginning of when the cardiologist looked at me as someone who was maybe being like hysterical. Um, and not really taking it serious. So for about a year, I was bouncing around from appointments that he uh, was giving me to go to. Um, I had to do some um, echo exams of the heart, um, which I did end up finding out through these extra procedures um, that I do have like a heart murmur, a prolapsed Um, mitral valve. So, you know, there is some good things that came out of doing those extra procedures, things that I learned about myself. But ultimately, about a year and a half later, um, I said no more. He was bouncing me around to go see if I had vertigo to see, you know, just these very simple things. None of my tests were coming out positive. All of the other doctors he was sending me to, like the vertigo doctor was like you have dysautonomia I believe that's what you have and I was like well me too but can you diagnose me and they were like well no (laughs) so after about twenty thousand dollars and still no um answer I was I had um at this point also just lost my dad um in January of 2020 to a brain aneurysm so thank you um after that happened I was like I can't I need time I can't keep doing these appointments because I would feel so sad leaving each time so heartbroken that nobody knows what's wrong with me every single time I go it seems to get more um more serious mm-hmm. it starts settling in on my heart that this isn't something that's going away because of course through all this process I was researching POTS myself um which ultimately was the biggest amount of help when I really yeah. accepted like okay I think this is what I have and um I'm a hairstylist. I forgot to mention that, that I don't work anymore because of my POTS um, full-time or even part-time. But at that point in time, I was working um, an insane amount of hours on my feet. And mm. so that, which was also putting me into the hospital more often. If I wasn't there for an appointment, I was there for an mm. IV um, and medication at, you know, 2 a.m., So after COVID um, happened or started, after COVID started and we went on lockdown, it was the first time I had ever had an extended amount of time of rest where I also didn't have to feel guilty 
about resting. Yeah. All through high school, I think I probably went to school maybe two or three days a week in high school. And I fell so far behind and my teachers would be like, well, if you're, you know, if you're sick, then go to the, go to the doctor, go figure it out. Um, little did I know, or they know that one, my family didn't have money to do that. Or, and two, we had no idea when I was Mm. 16, how invasive this process was going to be. So back to COVID and being in lockdown, finally getting to heal and um, kind of and just remember what my body felt like before 10 hour days doing people's hair. Um, I would, you know, I would leave work with blood pooling in my thighs, my fingers blistering and bleeding and, you know, all of these yeah, dizzy, all of these different typical pot symptoms on top of emotionally absorbing everything that my guests were telling me hair therapist hair therapist is definitely a real thing so that was you know one thing on top of another by the time I got to COVID I was like oh my gosh like quarantine what a relief for my body and then when lockdown lifted and we started back at work that first week was just so immediate of my symptoms Mm. of the pain and um, the inflammation that I was, I kind of just called my mom and was like, I've, I know we've always known this point was going to come, but I've, I've reached it. I can't do this anymore. I mean, it's a lot, not like, like the way towards it, like for you, for what you just said, your pot symptoms are people to understand, to, to help people understand with, with anyone that has dysautonomia or chronic illness. We have symptoms every second of the day. We do everything possible to keep those symptoms at a, an even level, okay, where we're not going to end up in hospital, we're not going to push ourselves too much. Um, obviously, working as a hairdresser, you and you had to work, there was no option there for you but to work, you're going to be on your feet. So you're automatically getting your mind ready first which must have been a lot of anxiety on top of you saying well I have to go to work I don't have any option I can't stay at home standing on your feet when you know you're going to faint you're going to black out at any second if that doesn't happen you just standing to do your job is going to leave you very 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 ill exactly absolutely and especially with the added um COVID on top of it of worrying about is this something I'm going to get at that point? Mm-hmm. It was so still unknown. Um, I was, I was, I was really scared, but it was a double-edged type thing because I loved my job mm-hmm. so, so deeply. I, that was like the first thing that I found in my life that really felt like gave me a purpose and passion and truly, truly just a my job and I'm and I knew when I was doing it how many people get to say they truly love what they do and through that I was like how can I love something so much and my body be trying to take it away from me so strongly so in leaving work that was a huge battle mentally for me was trying to still lo- lo- love myself, love my body 
for what it is, even though it was pulling me from this thing that taught me confidence and how to be an adult really and uh, funded my medical experience because I really don't know how many other 20, 21 year olds would have the opportunity to financially take care of $20,000, $15,000 of medical bills. Um, so I, it's like, I'm like, it's obviously I'm not lucky I have POTS, but I am lucky mm-hmm. that I had a backbone to secure me a little bit because I know I know so many people don't have the finances in America to take care of themselves when it comes to doctors and chronic illnesses. And I've met through my job and working um, so many people who have been diagnosed with different things, whether it's chronic illness or not, um, that it's changed their life completely. Um, Mm -hmm. A woman that I hold really near and dear to my heart that I met at the salon came in and she had um, Parkinson's and Mm -hmm. she had been diagnosed about two years prior and she had been homeless for about eight months and right before quarantine hit she had found a place but in that time of her being homeless she had no support in her in her disease and um basically she went from being in a suburb of tampa to being diagnosed and not being able to work to finding herself on the streets and um without any physical without any um money or work opportunity anyone there to support her she couldn't take care of herself and she ended up having a seizure on um by a bus stop and there is just such little knowledge around disabilities especially when it comes to um a police officer showing up to the scene they didn't really know what to do with her they had assumed that she was on a bunch of drugs which she hadn't been because she was homeless oh my god and so they ended up taking her to a halfway house where she just had the worst experience of her life was physically and um sexually abused she had in this time tried to take her own life after hearing her neighbor take uh the neighbor's own life and it was just this really shady halfway house in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, where the man who owns the house was taking any money that the people who lived there brought in, taking it for himself, giving them really terrible living conditions. Um, She finally got out, Red Cross helped her get a place and start getting back onto her feet, but her story really, really stuck with me mm-hmm. after that, of especially when I was talking about me being able to pay for these things and have my family that supports me because I am a lot luckier than a lot of other people who have POTS and other chronic illnesses, which I'm sure you're aware of as well. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. It's the one thing every human being is entitled to. It's your human right to have a treatment for your health. Um, and the thing that with an eye, and I know I bring it up an awful lot because it, it means an awful, awful lot to me, is with invisible illness, because you don't look like you're sick. If that same lady had broken her ankle or broken an arm, they would have looked straight away and said, well, we need to get an EMT for her. She needs to get her broken bone fixed. Or So they assumed exactly. because they, they couldn't see anything physically wrong with her. And she was after having a seizure. She was homeless. She didn't have money to pay for the treatment or the medication she needed for her condition, for her Parkinson's. That They automatically thought she was a junkie on the side of the street, that she'd done this to herself. And I'm sure in her own head, she was thinking have I done this to myself because I can't afford to pay for my medical treatment? She was, so, she was so afraid to come into the salon. I remember she had been about 10, 15 minutes late um, because she was walking there, of course. And she had told me that she was having a really bad anxiety attack on her way mm. there. A lot of people coming in who have mental or physical um, disabilities into the salon experience a lot of anxiety around if they're going to be judged they don't want to feel judged by the person who's doing their hair um, for whatever it is that they've gone through and for her she had definitely had so much anxiety it took her a while to even come in and be able to you know, take the, have the strength to look at me and be like, this is my story. This is why, you know, for her, she was like telling me this and she's like, oh yeah, this is why. So that's why my hair looks the way it does. And I'm like, we'll fix the hair. That's, you know, that's the easy part. But I, we sat down with each other and she, you know, she didn't really, I mentioned that I had a little, I had an illness that, um, just very briefly, but I didn't get into it at all. And yeah. we just sat there with each other while her hair was being colored and processed and just cried with each other. And knowing that, you know, it turns into this thing of, it's not just me going through this. It's so many people in so many different forms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that time and time again, a huge amount of the homeless pop. Um, population here in America is due to disability and being swept aside. Um, they are trying to pass a law right now where disability covers and pay, like the payment of disability is um, just at the poverty line. It is currently below the poverty line. Um, so these people really have no way to live but unfortunately I feel that is a part of the capitalist system that America has created is mm. the disabled get left behind so I just want to get this message out there and let people know that the people who have disabilities are so powerful and have yeah. so much will and strength to give in whatever way possible. She was a writer. She is so smart, storyteller. So looking at her, I'm like, she has 
so much, so much knowledge yes. to share with people. And um, her and I still keep in contact every now and again on Facebook just to check in on her. But I, I know it's just a, one of many stories like that. Yeah, because it is, it's, there, there's no equality there for people with disability. I don't think it's just in America because, <clears throat> excuse me, I've heard it from different, different stories from different, different parts of the world. And you're also living with that stigma as well of even some people that need to use medical aids or medical assistance. Um, you, but you don't, you can walk without a wheelchair. Yeah, but I'm using the wheelchair for some of the time to give me a better quality of life so I can get out. I could be out longer if I have a wheelchair, not saying me, not saying me as in particular, I don't have a wheelchair, but there's that stigma behind it. It's the getting on a bus or a train and sitting in the disability seat and people are looking at you and but you, there's, there can't be anything wrong with you. But you get yeah. up and let the elderly person sit down or something. Just in, but I physically can't stand, I can't stand up in this bus and train. I need this. But why should I have to explain to you? And that closes the community of people with disability off because like as you said she felt she is nobody if she feels she's nobody to talk to if she's getting anxiety of going into hair salon because she's worried about being judged it's happening in this community and it has to stop that's why we need to advocate and we need to make awareness of these conditions and we need to push more and more and more that these illnesses are real we need the proper treatment the proper care needs to be given out there the proper information needs to be given out there and we won't be silenced no matter what you do because disability equality is real there's so there's this actually this uh show on netflix maybe you've seen it it's called um i think it's called undiagnosed or it's have, either undiagnosed or diagnosed i haven't watched it yet it's the first episode i couldn't even get past like the first episode because this all of the other ones i was like this is too heavy too close like mm -hmm. i will sit here and sob for the next 10 hours but i did watch the first episode of this woman with a um illness that had affected her her whole life she was trying to you know um get diagnosed nothing was happening the doctor of the show kind of you know the host doctor of the show she says something that was that really stuck with me. And she um, explained that when she became a doctor, she assumed that it would be a lot of, you know, things that made sense as does one plus one equals two. Things that you can plug in has um, answers for. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, she gets in her career, she realized she said she's realized that being a doctor is not like that. It's being, it's the willingness of wanting to be a detective. And after something comes back normal, being wanting to say, okay, no, but there has to be an underlying disability. So let's figure that out. But unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't see themselves as detectives as she does, but I thought that was a really good way of, um, I think the mindset of what I hope more doctors take on of being a detective, trying to figure it out. Um, I think I mean, one of the most, I think one of the most important um, things that needs to be changed that I think can make a big difference in patient's life is the, is the relationship 
between the doctor and the patient and having compassion for the person who's sitting in front of you. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you can, you know, try different doctors, you can try different systems, but without that compassion, it's going to, to be overseen. Um, so I really, really want doctors who might listen to this, who want to learn more about dysautonomia and learn through their patients that we are looking for compassion and understanding. Yeah, I mean, who knows this, these illnesses better than the patient that's going through them? You know, you, you know your own body. Absolutely. And I think when I am ready to begin my EDS um, diagnosis, at least this time, I know how to be my own advocate. And that's what I want anyone who hasn't started their diagnosis process to know is to stay your advocate and do your research and recognize the signs of being gaslighted and knowing that you are very much allowed to stand up and leave the appointment to fire mm -hmm. your doctor and to keep yeah. searching for someone who is going to listen to you. They, the doctors don't have some like principal-esque like authority over you. You are allowed to tell them no and stand up and leave. Yeah, so. do you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people do forget your doctor works for you. It's for not you. the other way around. And people forget that because it can be so intimidating. Right. And if you know, if you start an appointment with your doctor and you bring up pots and they roll their eyes or bring up whatever you believe you, um, you align with because you know your symptoms more than anyone else. And that you have read every single illness online, every single symptom and going through and identifying what is closest to you. You've done most of the work. Work. coming in <laughs> so I think that yeah if they were just open to it um, working with patients it would be so beneficial um, some things that I've learned recently about doctors um, especially when they are in their schooling and med school is that they learn on um, mainly on male body diagrams they, um, oh. one doctor that I was watching a documentary about this um, says in quotes that he, that the other doctors just feel like the women diagrams, um, all that stuff gets in the way. All, all that oh. weird stuff gets in the way, right? So they mainly oh. learn on the male body, but anyone with POTS knows that the majority of people with chronic illness are women. Yeah. And that stuff that's in the way, that stuff that gets in the way is the stuff that brought you into the, the world. That's wrong. Yes. <laughs> we brought you into the world. I was screaming at the TV when I said that. I saw that. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, that is the stuff. No. And then they just be in um, something else that I had learned from a different podcast talking about um, insurance it would, in the medical system was their main topic. Um, something that doctors are taught is to, um, each appointment, when you send a patient away, it's needs to be with a prescription 
of um, some sort or a payment. So they have like a lot of hospitals, most hospitals, the way that the healthcare system in America is designed and I'm sure in so many other countries is profit before patient. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. taking, whenever you put money before someone's well-being, it is never going to do what the system is meant to do for the patient. Um, so, you know, the, the, I mean, that's a whole other movement in trying to push forward mm -hmm. that I'm trying to break into, but there's once you start learning there you realize it's an onion you just keep Many pulling layers. these pieces of the layers back and you're and it's like more bullshit P pull it back more bs yeah. pull it back more bs and you're like it gets really overwhelming where do i start mm -hmm. with trying to change a system when i have four hours a day of usable hours that's what um mm -hmm. i've learned to call my my time my awake time my usable mm -hmm. hours um so it's definitely overwhelming and I think that anyone with a chronic illness um feels that way um some when I was starting my first diagnosis process it came down to being me and my mom were looking around at different specialists which um if you can afford to do that is I believe the best way to go um, we were looking at the Mayo Clinic, mm -hmm. which specializes in dysautonomia, um, but they mm -hmm. don't accept, they don't accept insurance. And for them, it's $6,000 down. And then anything they, any procedure they do afterwards is out of pocket. So I, when we, when we heard that, we were like, absolutely not. I can't afford that. Um, cannot afford that. So we went with the insurance and what the insurance could yeah. cover through Tampa Bay and um, just their, them not having the knowledge, I ended up spending, even with insurance, just the same amount of money as if I would have just gone straight to the specialist and paid out okay. of pocket. So I think that was, oh my gosh, that was the most frustrating thing to me um, at, at that time was I was like, I'm working so hard um, at my job and I'm like, I'm, I'm killing it in my career. And I'm just like putting all of it towards these medical bills, pushing yourself and then relapsing and flaring up. Um, mm -hmm. I was definitely stuck in that cycle for very, very long time. And it, it hurt spiritually, it hurt. And I um, think that when, you know, when I was in the thick of my diagnosis and I had just realized, I re I'll never forget the morning that I, I started to understand that this wasn't something going away. I was driving to work and for at this point, like every day for like months leading toward, uh, leading up to this, I would wake up in the morning and just look at myself in the mirror and pull back tears because my eyes were half swollen shut and I was just in this pain. I'm so exhausted. And I was driving to work, just pulling back tears, pulling back tears. And I had um, an appointment 
the day or a procedure the day, next day to um, basically have a camera go down my throat to take photos of my heart to look at my uh, valves. And I was on my way to work at like eight o'clock in the morning and the hospital calls me and to set up my insurance and let me know the price. I've had this procedure for like three months in advance set. And they called me the day before to tell me how much my insurance covered and that I would still be having to pay $3,500. And if I didn't set up the payment in this moment, then the payment I did set up in the future would have a pretty large interest rate on it. Um, so oh I heard that and it just kind of clicked that this isn't going anywhere. This is very real and I will live with this forever. And I just yeah. sat in my car and cried and cried and cried and then walked into work and I had my, my appointment in my chair and just, you know, a total face change ever, like yeah. okay mm. swallow it down push it down um it's you know it's go time it's show time your career yeah. absolutely it, it took me a while after leaving the salon to um I always had this I always had this plan anyways that maybe I would spend five years in the salon life before I moved on and started doing freelance and pushing towards um, more projects that happened just sooner than I had planned um, and not in the way that I had planned it. Um, when I left at, after two years of working, mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready. And then I started, I knew I wanted to write a book. So I started writing or getting my journals together and um, teaching myself how to write a book again. It had been a long time since I took an English class, but mm -hmm. I started doing these things and trying to do them still like a normal person though. I would have in my calendar, okay, from 12 to two, I'm gonna read. And then from two to five, I'm gonna write. And that's gonna be from Tuesday through Friday. And um, obviously <laughs> I had to learn. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work that out really like that <laughs> that really sucked because I realized that I was only disappointing myself by setting these standards of what I needed to reach through the day instead of just listening to my body and riding the waves and when I do feel good and being like okay this is now it's the time to let me get mm -hmm. some stuff done instead of trying to plan it out and then being disappointed when it doesn't happen so living a little bit yeah. more like on edge day by day it can yeah. be fun. I'm a rebel. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I never yeah. know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> it's it's like instead of saying it was something was something my my friend or dear friend a life coach had put up there recently. He was saying instead of waking up in the morning and saying I need to do this today, say this is what I try to achieve today and it changes your total motivation because you're not letting yourself down and it was actually the time he had posted it on an Instagram post I was laying in bed and I was I was saying to myself oh no I don't no I have to hoover now and I have to do this and I just I've lost the will to live I'm just giving into today and I'm right. doing nothing and then when I then when I read the part where it said this is what I'm going to this is what I'm going to try to achieve today instead of what I need to do then you're kind of the competitive part of you kicks in 
And I, before I knew what I was up, I was showered, I was washed, I was ready down that stairs and I had that hoover in my hand without, without even thinking about it. But when I had said to myself, I need to do it, it was, oh my God. It's dreadful. It's, world, it's, mm. it's absolutely it's dreadful. Crazy. Yeah, I, I think that um, being able to just ride the wave keeps you out of the circle cycle the being and trying to create a world where the disabled people can just ride the wave and not have to feel like well they have to you know go and bust their back at work or else they're going to be homeless um so fighting for a world where more people can relax because because um, I got married back in April, so it's only so I'm a newlywed. Congratulations! Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. It has been so healing having a partner to understand and see my illness as well. Um, and you know, I, as much as I've accepted and I've worked on it, there I still wake up like. Most days of the week, at some point through the day, I look at my husband, Austin, and I'm like, why am I so tired? And he like (laughs) giggles and he's like, oh, I don't know if you know, but you have this thing called POTS. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. And he's like, go to sleep. I got it. So (laughs) it's like, what's what's your party trick or what's your, your hidden talent? I can sleep a lot. I can sleep so tired. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, before, like, before being diagnosed or even learning about POTS, I was always the friend that was like the grandma and asleep. I like skip the party to go to sleep. Um, My friend, my, one of my best friends, I would be like, oh, the sun makes me tired. And she'd be like, Haley, everything makes you tired. (laughs) And that was in high school. And I just didn't understand. I was like, yeah, I'm a sleepy girl, I guess. Mm. You put it down to that, wouldn't you? Or hormones or anything. So I'm not going to keep you too long because time is precious, especially to all of us that um trying to stay awake is, is an ordeal. Um, I'm just going to ask you before you go, if you had three top tips of how to manage your illness, what would they be? My three top tips is um, if you can afford getting a membership at an IV clinic, that um, helped me so, so, so much when I was working. Um, I'm not able to unfortunately afford the same treatments as I could when I was working, but I've found alternates to Mm -hmm. it. But if you can afford IV treatment, um, I was doing that once a week with like the the um, Myers cocktail and it really really helped me um, with my energy levels especially if you can't afford that then the packs of liquid IV is a really really good um, alternate is you just well, add it to water so I'm only asking you because yeah, we don't have them. I've been asking for years about having, and I've explained to them about the benefits of having IV treatment. Um, and I keep being shut down by to- being told, I never heard of it, don't know what it is. And that's it. That's as far it, as they go with me with the conversation. 
Well, when I've been in the past, like once I realized that IVs really, really worked for me, if I was hospitalized, I would go in and be like, I need saline IV. Or if I had a migraine, I need, I need magnesium IV. And they would be like, oh, okay. Um, but I had a wellness center in Tampa that did, um, you know, it's like people think it's like fun to go get IVs when they're like a little hungover or something. Um, and like the rest (laughs) of us, it's like our lifeline. (laughs) I had a membership at one of those wellness centers. Um, so that really made just a huge difference. Um, I got really, really good at, um, getting stuck with the needle which Mm. sucked but it definitely definitely helped but um it's expensive it's when you do it like at a wellness center it's not something that insurance covers so it uh if I had a membership which made it better but here in Savannah Savannah they don't even have a wellness center like that so if Mm. I were to go get a Myers cocktail IV it could be 180 dollars would say my second biggest um tip would be to sleep when you need sleep and when not push and to. not push oh, yeah because yeah, I think that the fatigue is my biggest debilitating symptom um I, I, I know that was three but I, I do want to share just one more that oh okay you go <laughs> <laughs> when I started um my doctor was like, I think you need to go on antidepressants. And eventually I finally gave in and was like, okay, let me try it. And when I started antidepressants, my mom, who was a mental health counselor and a gift from God in my life, um, my mom said, if you're going to be on a medication, it's smart for you to start therapy. And in starting therapy, that really changed how Mm. I dealt with my emotions and having an outlet to um, release them and release the trauma that I was experiencing at the same time um, just made sure that my my emotional plate wasn't getting stacked too high once a week I would go over to the IV place and then go over there to just tell her how I felt and um, especially after leaving my work and being here in Savannah, this has been like my healing little town. Um, mm-hmm. It's been about a year since I've worked at the salon. And I found a really great trauma therapist here that has helped me sort through um, life trauma, medical trauma. Mm-hmm. And without doing that, I, I wouldn't have been able to press forward with a lot of my projects. I realized when I was writing my book that I kept stopping. I couldn't write certain things because I hadn't dealt with it yet. Um, Unloading that in therapy, going through it, just wanting to be better. um, Definitely, definitely was a very big tool, especially if you are on antidepressants, seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. because your emotions are being pressed down. And for me, I can't feel a lot of my emotions in my sleep uh, or in my awake time, I don't feel in my emotions. Mm. And when I'm sleeping, my brain tries to run through Process. it. So mm-hmm. therapy definitely has helped so much. I agree with that. Um, with the definitely with the therapy part, um, I've done different type therapists over the years for a very very long time to deal with all that kind of emotional stuff. And um, 
I finally found after years one that has actually worked and one that has worked so well that I'm sitting here now talking to you doing a doing a podcast um so I do believe having somebody with me was my life coach who was also a practitioner in cognitive behavioral therapy which is also a diploma that I've went and got my a degree of I got myself in mindfulness and um, behavioral therapy cognitive behavioral therapy so I do believe having oh. yeah, well, I, the best way for me to do the, the diploma in the MBCT and in the mindfulness was I have gifted myself with these tools now that I can pull on and need whenever I need them in any circumstance in any situation without having to rely on somebody else to do it for me so that was I said out of all of this, I was going to give myself one gift and I gifted myself those tools by studying and by getting distinctions in, and getting my diplomas in them. So that's something I'm proud of. I do agree with therapy. I agree there is benefits. If you have to go through a mountain of therapists to find one that suits you, it will benefit yes. you. In the same same rule with the doctors that um, it's be your advocate. If the therapist, it makes you uncomfortable, find a different one. It's not, the, it's not the person for you. Yeah. Put yourself first is the golden rule here, isn't it? Yes. I, yes, absolutely. Self-advocacy and um, compassion, I think is the solution for I most problems in general of if we have compassion for each other and understanding um, for each other and for ourselves, it will bring so much healing to yeah. ourselves and those around us. But like, yeah, sure. Um, I it's one of the things that have always, um, as a woman with chronic illness, mm-hmm. is being young, like sits on my heart as something that I am afraid of. One day is um, is the pregnancy journey. For you, do you feel? I know it's unique to everyone. I've heard some people say who have chronic illness that um, their pregnancies were actually, um, they felt actually better because of their hormone levels being somewhat like um, quote unquote fixed for temporarily. Mm. And some people feel um, worse. Was there a, a, did you lean one way or the other? And did you have ways to cope with it? On my second one, Blake, see, I was only diagnosed, Ryan will be 20 Halloween night, so I was only diagnosed after I had had him, obviously. So with Blake, it really it really affected me because I was hospitalised three or four times by ambulance. Um, um, because obviously with standing on my feet for too long, when I was getting what it was called, there were experiences of real bad Bell's palsy and shut down on my left-hand side. And they, they were trying to put it down at the start to maybe that's the way the baby's leaning. And and then in the sense I'm saying to myself, well, the baby, if the baby was leaning to the to the left, like it wouldn't be happening all the time because I've had scans in between and all that. So on Blake, funnily enough, it turns out to have pots himself, it was a hard pregnancy. I wasn't on my feet a lot. I had the normal symptoms of pregnancy. I was being sick and that. But then when I was being taken by ambulance to the hospital, the main hospital didn't want to deal with me because I'm pregnant. And the maternity section didn't want to deal with me because I had POTS. And I'm listening to this conversation in an ambulance where the paramedics are looking at each other and saying, where do we take her? Yeah, feeling like, hello, can you guys at least do this a little quieter so I don't feel like such a burden? You know, 
So they brought me to, when they bring me to the maternity, the maternity were saying, oh, well, the, the baby's, we've done our bit. The baby is fine. There's nothing we can do there. Yeah, her pupils now are a bit, you know, dilated and she's very tachycardia. You're going to have to take her out to the hospital. In the hospital, were giving me paracetamol and putting me on a saline drip. And keep looking and said, your, your left um, pupil is very blown. Like, no shit, Sherlock, I can feel the banging in my head, you know. So for everybody, it is different. For me on Blake, they did, my pots really, really flared up on, on him. And he turns out to have pots as well. But yeah, I, I don't know because there's somebody else that has had different, different illnesses, not pots, that have said when they were having on their pregnancies, they had no flare ups. That's when their condition was most at remission. So everybody, everybody's different. It's it so different. Put, it wouldn't put me off. Um, I, I'd have, if I could have more babies, I'd have them as well because it's, it's just going to be a passing phase. We know, we know it's going to end. You know, that's so very true. And that I mean, is very comforting to hear is yeah. the reminder when you're, hold, when you're holding that little, little baby you'll just you'll forget any of those symptoms so don't let that don't, don't let that hold you off having children <laughs> no I will definitely have children I think God has um a plan for a big family for me so Woo! <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks an absolute million for coming on i really enjoyed this conversation sometimes Thank i can get a record I'm, I'm recording when i'm doing it but that's the whole point is to make is to make people feel comfortable and relaxed and it's, it's not as scary so many people message me and say i don't know what to talk about and ah, you're just having a chat it's fine it's oh really i was so excited um i look forward to um being able to keep spreading the message um hopefully even eventually talking to you again about um, anything that might come up and finding other podcasts that I could go on and uh, share the message as well and just keep on keep on keeping on keep on keeping on this was actually uh, my first time ever speaking with anyone else other than on Instagram DM um, that also has pots so thank you Thank you so much oh, for having you. me. This has been um, very healing in itself for me to get to talk to someone who who gets it. Who gets it. It, it is. It's very comforting, isn't it? Like it really, really is. So it means a lot to me for taking your time out and shifting me in there in between your your hours of availability. It means an awful lot. Of course, of course. Um, Thank you. I will. T- I will tag your page and that. And as I said, any of the listeners listening, we will be catching up again with Haley around Christmas time. So we'll find out about her next diagnosis and how she's getting on with her new career path and we wish you all the very very best with everything thank you thank you so much it was so nice to meet you you too take care remind yourself you too good rest take care bye bye Thank you again to this week's guest, Hayley, and for sharing with us how important it is to self-advocate for yourself, stand up for yourself, and never be told no. I do hope you can join us again as us warriors unite.